Welcome to Crossroad International Church, where it's all about Jesus. If you are in Kuwait and looking for a church to call home, we would love the opportunity to welcome you at one of our Friday services. Now, here is this week's message. Open with me, if you would, to the book of Hebrews, chapter 2. And today we're going to read the first four verses of Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore, we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard, lest we drift away. For if the word spoken through angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at the first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also bearing witness both with signs and wonders, with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit, according to his own will. In chapter 1, the author of the book of Hebrews proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that Jesus is better than angels. Jesus has a better name than the angels. He is called my son by the heavenly father. And so now we are getting into the meat of the book of Hebrews. This is the first of five major warnings that the author gives to people. And he was deeply concerned that his readers would not succumb to the pressures of life and the pressures that they were under and that they would not drift away from the gospel message. So he gives them this warning. And there are five of them. The first warning is talks about drifting away from the word. And it's here in chapter 2 verses 1 to 4. The second warning is about doubting the word of God. And it's in chapter 3 verse 7 through chapter 4 verse 13. And we'll go through all of these as we study. Warning number 3 is toward the dullness in the word chapter 5 11 through 620 the fourth warning is despising the word of god chapter 10 verses 26 to 39 and the fifth warning is defying the word of god chapter 12 verses 14 to 29 so each of these warnings gets to be a little stronger than the warning before so we talked about drifting away from the word which we're going to talk about today the next one is doubting the word Dullness toward the word, despising the word, or defying the word. When you look in your book, you will see that the book says these five warnings give us some things that we're supposed to do. The first one is to help us hear Jesus. The second warning is to help us see Jesus. The third warning helps us to trust Jesus. The fourth one helps us to believe Jesus. And the last one helps us to obey Jesus. So we want to see, trust, hear, believe, and obey Jesus. I love going through Bible books like this verse by verse because I like teaching this way. So what we're going to do is just go through these four verses and I just want to explain a few things to you. Verse 1, Therefore we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard lest we drift away. Now you know chapter divisions were not in the original manuscript. They're put in for us to help us uh, have a, a flow 
And this sentence starts off with the word, therefore. And when I learned in homiletics class in Bible school, whenever you see the word, therefore, in Scripture, find out what it's there for, okay? The word, therefore, is referring to what came before. So to get it in context, you must read what came before where we are right now. So in the light of chapter 1, God said that he had spoken to the world by his son. Chapter 1 we saw that Jesus is the heir of all things. He will inherit everything. Chapter 1 showed us that Jesus is the creator of all things and then in chapter 1 it says that Jesus is better and has a better name than the angels. Therefore because of these things we must give the more earnest heed to the things we have heard. Give earnest heed. That word earnest means you have to strive for it. You have to work for it. It's not something that just comes by osmosis. When I was 10 years old, I thought I wanted to play the guitar. So I saved up my money for, I don't know, a year or more. And I went out and I bought a real nice Alvarez acoustic guitar. I mean, it was nice. I don't know how old I was, but I know it was um, in 1987. So that would have been 30 years later. I gave that guitar away to a young man in Kenya, and it still had the original strings on it. Because I thought I could stick the guitar in its case in the closet, and every time I walked by, some guitar was going to jump out on me, and I was going to learn to play. And then somebody said, well, you have to practice. Well, I tried for a day, and then my fingers got real sore, and I said, this isn't for me, and I put it back thanking the osmosis. Maybe none of you did this when you were in elementary school, but you have a test the next day, so you put the textbook under your pillow, hoping that somehow it's going to come through the pillow into your brain, and you can pass the test. Well, it doesn't come that way. It takes earnest, hard work, earnestly heed the things of Christ. See, he's talking here to Jews mainly, the Hebrew church. And they had received the first covenant, what we now call the Old Testament. And that covenant had been delivered to them by the prophets and the angels. And they were following it with their whole heart. And now he's telling them, you must give more earnest. You must more diligently follow the message that came from Christ, the New Testament, than you did following the Old Testament. And I want to read something I found in one of the commentaries. It says, this final word of God, this word of the gospel that fulfills all other words cannot be improved upon. It is not just one mere snippet of revelation in a continually ongoing progressive revelation of God. No, it is the final revelation to which all other words from God pointed and in which they find their fulfillment and their goal. Here in the Son is the final word. Their meaning and their purpose is complete. Beyond this Son, beyond His word, there is nothing more to be said. Now, does that mean we throw away the Old Testament and we don't look at the Old Testament anymore, but we become New Testament believers? No, because this whole Bible is a revelation from God and it is instructions for us. 
But you and I, we must understand that the gospel message of Jesus Christ is the focal point of our Christianity. James chapter 1, verse 22 to 25. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself and goes away and immediately forgets what kind of a man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not forgetful hearer, but is a doer of the word, this one will be blessed in what he does. See, we need to take to heart. We need to earnestly heed. We need to work and strive to get the word of God, the gospel message from just a mental ascent to get it deep down in our hearts. Amen? And that doesn't come easily. That takes work and it takes time. Romans 10, 17 says, So then faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. We try to have all of our messages heavy with the word of God. Why? Because your faith doesn't come by hearing me preaching. Your faith comes by hearing God's word. Now preaching is needed. Preaching is good because it explains the word of God. But you on your own need to be reading and understanding the Word of God. My wife and I, for almost since we've been Christians, try to read through the Scripture every year. If you've never read through the Bible from cover to cover, I would want to challenge you to do it at least once. And I'm doing something different this year in that I have a Bible app that um, is a recorded word, and so I'm listening to it and reading it simultaneously. Because I've been taught when you teach, each if you hear it and see it, you retain more of it. But if you hear it and see it and apply it, it becomes part of you. Amen? So we need to make sure we take heed. And the last part of that verse says, if we don't take heed, we will drift away. This idea of lest you drift away, is it in, it's in stark contrast to giving earnest heed. Most people don't start, or let me, let me rephrase that. Most people don't wake up one day and decide I'm going to drift away from God and I'm just going to go the other way. No, it usually starts gradually. A mechanic told me one time your car never just stops. Normally it starts missing before it stops. You, you'll notice there's something wrong. There will be some symptoms before it just stops and that's the way with us. A lot of times because of the cares of the world, because of our jobs, because of the busyness of life, sometimes we we forget our devotion. Sometimes we forget to pray. We forget to read God's word and we begin to slowly drift away. Drifting is a mark. You're on the road to death. Earnestly contending or earnestly heeding is on the road to life. A dead log can drift aimlessly and effortlessly along the current. But the boat that wants to go upstream is totally different. Someone has to earnestly be heeding the tiller of that boat, knowing where they want to go for the boat to go upstream or against the tide. But if you and I are not careful, we'll just lay back and relax and begin to just drift with society. I'm 
from southern Louisiana at the mouth of the Mississippi. My wife is from the north, which is upriver. Now, to drive from my place to her place is about somewhere between 14 to 1,500 miles. Now, to do that by river, if I got on the Mississippi River in my hometown and went along the river, by the time I got to the headwaters of the river, I would have gone over 2,400 miles. 1,500 mile drive, 2,400 miles by water. Why? Because rivers always take the easiest way out. Rivers always take the path of least resistance. And if you look at a map of the Mississippi River, it's not straight. Goes like this, and then it'll do this, and then it does this. And sometimes over the years, it, it does so much that it'll actually cut itself off and farm a lake. Many times as Christians, if we're not careful, we begin taking the path of least resistance, and rather than walking the straight, narrow path that the gospel talks about, our walk with God becomes a bit crooked. We compromise a little bit here, we compromise a little bit there, we compromise over here, and before we know it, we have drifted away from the things of God. I want to give you a challenge today. If you have taken Jesus on board just as one option among many equal, true religious leaders, if you have taken him on board as merely one of any number of gods that you can choose to worship, if you have not really comprehended that Jesus actually is the one and only way, the one and only truth, life and the light of God, then you will find yourself easily drifting back into your old way of life or catching a hold of the next great thing that sweeps through the world. We need to be solidly based and earnestly heed, work at understanding the gospel of Jesus Christ. James chapter 1 verses 14 to 18. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then when desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above and comes down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow of turning. Of his own will he brought us forth by the word and of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of his creation. God brought us this word of truth. God brought us the gospel so that we can follow him and live a full, rich life. Norman can tell you, as pastors, we counsel a lot of people. And I've heard a lot of blame being placed on other people or especially the devil oh the devil made me do it or that because of what that person did I did so and so and now I find myself in trouble but this scripture says that each one of us is tempted when we are drawn away by our own desires See, Satan has no power to make you sin. He can drop an idea or a thought in your mind, but the Bible tells us to overcome and to cast down every evil imagination and every thought that exalts itself against God. I can honestly tell you, and if every one of us in here would be honest with ourselves, you will agree with me, every sin I have ever committed was because I wanted to. Now, am I the only one that can say that? (laughs) 
That's Bible. See, we need to make sure that we earnestly contend, that we earnestly follow the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we do not drift away. We don't turn from God to something else. Verse 2, For if the word spoken through the angels proved steadfast, and every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. The word spoken through angels. I wasn't quite catching what this was. And then as I started researching and studying for this message, all of the commentaries that I read said that the belief among the majority of the Jewish people at that time was that the law was given by God through angels to Moses because Moses couldn't be in God's presence and survive. Now, that's tradition. I don't know. I can't prove it. I wasn't there. But most of the commentaries thought that this is talking about the law that was given to Moses. The writer is not referring to an individual word, but he's referring to the Old Testament compared to the New Testament. And it says this word spoken by the angels and then it says it proved to be steadfast. Because the Old Testament was steadfast, every transgression and disobedience received a just reward. This word transgression means to move away from the boundaries. I saw a great picture as I was researching this and it was a picture and someone even sent me something similar to it um, on WhatsApp. There was a picture of a young man standing at a fence and he says, I hate fences. Fences hold me in. And in the next frame, he jumps over the fence and about halfway down the cliff, you hear him say, maybe the fence was here for my own good. See, we need to make sure that we don't deviate from the boundaries and the guardrails that God has put in place for us. Now, I'm going to say something, and if I was in America, I may get kicked out of the church. I may go to jail. If the Bible says it's sin, it's sin. I don't care what society says. Let me say that again. If the Bible calls it sin, it's sin, regardless of what society says it is, regardless of what a federal judge says it is. Sin is still sin. Amen? God set boundaries in the Word, and we cannot cross them. The word for disobedience means refusal to obey. How many of you have kids? Now, is there a difference in a kid just making a mistake and not doing what you told them compared to the kid that goes, I'm not doing it? See, this isn't talking about making a mistake and falling and committing a sin. This is talking about a refusal to obey the word of God. And it says each of those received their just reward. The law of Moses gave specific instructions of what to do with people that broke the law. Breaking the law of God, breaking the Ten Commandments required death. But in the new covenant, God sent one who would pay the penalty for our sin. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, paid the penalty. That is the good news of the New Testament. And that leads us right into verse 3. How shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation, which at first began to be spoken by the Lord and was confirmed to us by those that heard him? It's interesting that this admonition and this warning is given 
to believers. It's given to Christians. The author of the book says, how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? This is not a verse to use trying to talk people into becoming believers. This is not an evangelistic verse. This is a verse that is trying to get Christians to understand the importance of holding on to the gospel. Because he says, how shall we escape if we neglect? He didn't say reject, he said neglect. Many times... We see people, they give their hearts to Christ and they're so excited about their new life in Jesus and everything is, looks different and they're just on fire for Him. And then after a while, the cares of life and things come in and they're not at church quite as much and things aren't quite as exciting and the Bible isn't as fresh as it was and they start to sometimes neglect their salvation or maybe a better word than neglect is they take it for granted they just assume that well i'm saved so god has to let me in heaven i can do whatever i want i'm the king's kid how many of you teachers have ever run across a kid whose parents had wasta and they think they can do whatever they want to do because of who their parents are anybody any teachers ever come across that or is that just in my imagination <laughs> well guess what my dad's got more wasta than anybody's dad amen my dad is the creator of everything the god of gods the king of kings the lord of lords he has ultimate wasta so we need to make sure that we do not neglect or for not forsake neglect or just not take the gospel and our salvation serious. From the fall of man to Moses, God had used types and shadows to direct man's attention to and inspire his faith in the coming Redeemer. God throughout the Old Testament talked about the coming Redeemer. The cross of Jesus Christ is central in the history of human redemption. From Adam until the cross, people looked forward to their redemption promised by God. From the cross till eternity, when this earth is no more, we look back at the fulfillment of the promises of God to send the Messiah. How can we escape if we neglect that salvation? And it was first preached by Jesus. And it is a great salvation. Let me tell you why it's great. It's great because it was conceived by an omniscient, holy, all-powerful God. It was great because it took millennium for preparation and the outworkings of this salvation. The Bible says that Jesus was crucified before the foundations of the world. It says that at the proper time, Jesus came. It is a great salvation. It wasn't just a happenstance. It wasn't plan B. It's a great salvation because it cost God the life of his son. It's a great salvation because it gave us victory over death, hell, and the grave. It is a great salvation because it has provided hope for mankind. And lastly, it's a great salvation because it is God's only plan for man's redemption. This great salvation was first preached by Jesus 
and then by the apostles, and since then by every generation that has followed. We have a great salvation in Jesus Christ. And then verse 4. God also bearing witness with signs and wonders and with various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit according to his own will. In the context of this scripture, it means that God joined the witness of these early preachers to confirm the truth of their witness by performing miracles in conjunction with their preaching of the gospel. God undergirded the message of the gospel with signs and wonders and miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. And it should be noted that miracles were never the central theme and they never replaced the preaching of the gospel. Let me read to you Mark chapter 16 verses 15 to 20. And he said unto them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved, but he who does not believe is condemned. That's the great commission. Do we agree? Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He who believes and is baptized will be saved. He who does not believe will be condemned. And then it goes on. But many times we catch on the end of this verse and put more emphasis on it than the beginning. And these signs will follow those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons, they will speak with new tongues, they will take up serpents if they drink any deadly thing, it will by no means hurt them, and they will lay hands on the sick and they recover. So then after the Lord had spoken to them, he was received up into heaven and sat down at the right hand of God. And they went out and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word through the accompanying of signs and wonders." Signs, wonders, miracles, gifts, they always follow the preaching of the gospel. Miracles never went before the proclamation of the gospel to draw a crowd for the message. These things follow the proclamation of the gospel. God is still doing some of these things today. And they follow the proclamation of the gospel. See, we are to seek God, not miracles. But I know people that travel from conference to conference, convention to convention, looking for a miracle rather than looking for the miracle worker. Acts chapter 17, verses 24 to 28. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord, in the hope that they may grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. See, our job is to seek our heavenly Father. Matthew chapter 6, verses 31 to 34, I won't read it, but it says, don't seek the food, the clothing, all of these things that you need every day because your heavenly Father knows what you have. If you seek God, he will provide these things. 
As I wrap this up, it's easy to drift with the current, but it's difficult to return upstream. Our salvation is a great salvation purchased at a great price. We have great promises and great blessings, and it leads to a great inheritance. Abiel, if you guys will come up. On December the 10th, in 1755, a man by the name of Robert, Robert Robinson could not push from his mind a phrase used by George Whitfield in one of his sermons. Oh, my hearers, the wrath to come, the wrath to come. Robinson was wondrously converted, and he became a minister of the gospel, first in a Baptist church, then in a Methodist church, and later in other denominations. In one of his churches, it grew to a thousand in attendance. But unfortunately, somewhere along the line, the cares of life caused Robert Robinson to start drifting from the word of Christ. And he drifted, and he drifted, and it seemed that the gospel, his training, everything that he had lived for, now had no meaning to him. And the story goes that on one occasion he was in a carriage, on a long carriage ride with a young lady, and everything was really boring and monotonous, and this young lady began singing a hymn that was very famous at the time. And the name of that hymn was, Come Thou Fount of Every Blessing. And as she finished singing the hymn, she turned to Robert Robertson and she said, Sir, what do you think of that song? Sheepishly, he looked at her with his head hanging. He said, Ma'am, I'm the man that wrote that hymn long ago. He said, I would give 10,000 worlds if I had what I had then and I could still sing those words. And it goes like this that she looked at him and she said, But, sir, those streams of mercy are still flowing. And she reassured him, and through that encouragement, Robison was restored to fellowship with the Lord. Would you stand with me? It's an interesting verse in there. It says, here I make an altar. If you have found yourself maybe not earnestly heeding the words of Christ, maybe you've drifted away from your first love for him and your love for the word, Right there where you are, make that an altar. And just ask God to bring you back to Him. And rekindle that love for Him and for His Word. And today, like Robert Robinson, come back into fellowship like you used to have with the Father. Father, we give you our hearts today. Father, we ask that you would take our hearts and that you would seal it by your love. Father, we repent today of drifting away from you and sometimes taking for granted that great salvation. Father, pour out your mercy and your grace upon us today. Father, may we walk out of this place today completely restored to that first love we had with you. Father, touch each one of us today. Father, bless your people today. In Jesus' name.